in this case of the Judaizers, but for that matter of any false teachings, um, and emphasizes the importance of knowing the truth and then living the truth. Um, the, uh, in the fifth chapter of Galatians, Paul is going to contrast true religion against false religion and also false teachers against true teachers, ones that teach the truth. So we're going to try to answer three questions today. The first being, what is true Christian freedom? So in verses 1 to 6, Paul will contrast the religions. And secondly, in verses 7 to 11, Paul's going to contrast the teachers. So verse 1, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. Now, verse 1 has two parts to it. The beginning part is an assertion. What Paul is saying that Christ made us to be free, free men and women. Our state before conversion, our state before salvation was one of slave, living in slavery. Our position now, Christ was our liberator and we are free. As Weezy pointed out last week, Christ broke those chains. It was a great visual of those chains being broken and, and getting away from the law. Um, in fact, the, the song, I always love it how, you know, I have no say in the songs, but they are right on the money for today's message. I just love the way he works. You know what I mean? He just, it just comes right there, you know. Um, so in our freedom, we no longer have to struggle with the shame and guilt of failing to follow the law. Because that was the end result. When, when you look at before Christ, people tried to keep the law and failed. And it was all about shame and guilt. Um, and I grew up as a Catholic, and it was all about guilt. But I felt bad for my wife. We got married. I had been guilted out. That didn't work anymore. Because I had just been, guilt just didn't matter anymore. I've been, my whole life had been guilt. And that's not how we live in Christ. I, and I'm not picking on Catholics. Um, again, I believe there's a lot of Catholics that are Christian. Don't get me wrong. It just, for me, it didn't work. The, uh, but it was all about guilt, all about, you know, sin, sin, sin. No, it's about freedom. Now, again, that freedom doesn't give you the right to sin. I'm not saying that. But we have to enjoy the freedom that we have. We can't be loaded down with the shame and the guilt that comes with the fact that, hey, I stumbled today. And salvation is no longer dependent on us. I mean, that's the beauty of this whole thing, is that it's no longer dependent on us. And for some people, that's a stumbling block. They want it to be dependent. They want to think they did something. The idea that you had no say in it, that it was done for you, bothers some people. Um, so then Paul ends this, that first sentence with a command. So stand firm and do not submit yourselves again to the yoke of slavery. Now, the verb translated here, submit, is the same verb that you would use to describe of an ox with a big, heavy yoke on his back. Now, we were living in the Philippines for about six years, and it was not unusual to see a pair of oxen with a big wooden yoke plowing a field or hauling a wagon. And the way an ox is built, they have this big, heavy shoulder mass. And to put the weight against that, they have to lower their head. And that puts the mass against their shoulders. Right, So you see them with their heads down as they're pulling against the load. And Paul is saying, don't be like that. Don't be with your head down low and in shame. Stand tall. 
You don't have to have your head down low. You're free in Christ now. So Christ met the demands of the law for us, and we don't have to pick up that yoke anymore. Don't allow yourself to be re-yoked to the law. And he's telling these Judaizers, say, no, you've got to do this, you've got to do this, you've got to do this. And Paul say, no, you don't. It's not about you. Stand in your freedom. We have freedom of conscience now because we've received it from Jesus Christ. He paid for it. And we can't fall back into that trap of thinking that we can obey enough to win something, right? This isn't, you know, if I do good enough, I get to sit in the front row. It's not how that works. All right, verse 2. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under the obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. Now, as we know, the Judaizers made a big deal about circumcision. And so, like, what's the big deal about circumcision? I mean, the reality of it is it's a minor procedure, typically done when a child is like eight years old, which is in, or eight months or eight days old, which is interesting because if you look at the biology of it, there's actually stuff in your blood that makes your healing really go well at eight days. Like, he wouldn't know that, right? And so the command was to circumcise at eight days. But today, I mean, circumcision is no big deal. Most people have circumcised their kids. It has nothing to do with anything religious. It's just a common practice. And yet, many people don't get circumcised. Um, so why is Paul making such a big deal about it? Well, the big deal about it is because then it was a big deal. A person that was circumcised basically claimed to belong to a religion that required circumcision as being its member. It was not a common practice, and so it was pretty clear those who were and those who weren't, because they were physically separate looking. right? And we talked about that when we looked at some of the other books that we studied, particularly in places where they had Roman baths and stuff like that. It was really apparent if you were Jewish or not. Right? So the point of it here is that by getting yourself circumcised, you're now claiming... Uh, membership in a religion that's based upon works. And Paul is saying, well, if you do that, then you have to take the whole deal. You can't just take that part. You've got to take the whole law. You've got to follow all the law. You can't just pick and choose the parts you like. In fact, we saw that in the, the messages the Judaizers were spreading. If you look at Acts 15, verse 1, it says, Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom stopped by Moses, you cannot be saved. So they're very explicitly saying, no, no, you've got to be a Jew first before you be a Christian. Of course, we know throughout the study of Galatians, Paul is saying just the opposite. No, you don't. It's not about what you do. It's about what Christ did. So those that are requiring the circumcision is basically saying, Jesus isn't enough. You've got to pitch in and do your part. So to add circumcision is to lose Christ. There's two paths. They're not the same. They're contradictions of each other. Right? You have to choose a religion of works or a religion of grace. There is no mix. Effectively, if you're trying to do that, you're basically saying it's impossible to receive salvation without Christ, 
recognizing you can't save yourself, but then in circumcision you're saying, yes, I can. You see the contradiction. You just can't have the two of them. Verse 5. For we through the Spirit by faith are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. For faith working, th- but faith working through love. Now you'll notice that Paul has changed the pronoun from you to we. So he is now, in a sense, saying us as a group. This is affecting us as a group. Um, so there's two points that he makes. First, that we walk by faith. We walk by faith waiting for the hope of righteousness. Well, what is the hope of righteousness? It's what justification brings. It's that eternal life with the Father. And we don't work for it. We wait for it. And what enables us to wait patiently for it? The indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what enables us to walk by faith and to wait patiently. And I know for some of us that's tough, right? Most of I don't like to wait. I like things to happen, you know. And and it's it's like you know it's it's, it's like telling a chicken to hurry up and hatch an egg. It's not going to happen. It's going to happen when it happens. And I I don't like that. I don't like waiting. Um, and I think most of us are that way today. Everybody wants the things to. And he says, no, just wait, just wait. And often I find that the uh, when I wait. It actually comes out better than I thought it would than if I try to make it happen. Um, and the Bible is, of course, full of stories of people who thought better and decided to help God out and how well that didn't work. Um, so second is what matters is faith, not works. So point, uh, Paul once again points out that works, as in circumcision, means nothing. Um, again, there are Jewish Christians that are circumcised and Gentile Christians that are not. It doesn't matter doesn't have anything to do with anything. It's faith in Jesus Christ that's essential and sufficient. And again, the evidence of our faith is in our love of God and our love of each other. Our works are how we show our love of God and our love to each other to each other. And it's not like we're trying to earn something special. It's like if I serve at the soup kitchen, I'm not gaining points. You know, I'm not getting, you know, I remember we used to raise foster kids, you know, and they'd be like, well, you clean your room. That's worth three points, you know, and if they got enough points at the end of the day, at the week, they would get something. Okay, it's bribery, but, you know, the, <laughs> it worked, you know. We don't do that with God. We're not saving up points. You know, he's not like going, oh, I thought you did. That's minus four, you know. No, it's not how we live in our lives. No, faith is a faith that works, a faith that issues forth in love. Um. And it's, again, produced by that indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that voice that's changed. And when I came to the Lord, that voice changed. Things I did didn't bother me. All of a sudden, bothered me. There was this sense that, eh, you probably shouldn't do that. You know, it's weird. And it's really hard to explain that to people who don't know the Lord. You know, because they don't see the problem. I remember the group at work used to go down every Friday to Hooters. And I was like, I don't go. Why not? Uh, I know why you're there. Oh, we're there for the wings. Sure you are. Um, you know, I, it's that voice that says, don't go. Um, verse 7. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. Now, Paul likens the Christian faith to a race. 
Um, now, running as an athlete is more than just physical ability, right? Any more than believing is just acknowledgement of the moral loss. And running is more about that just perfecting style, right? It's not just about having great style. Any more than the Christian walk is about moral uprightness. But to run well, you must physically exert yourself. You must have good style and good running patterns. And you have to be willing to overcome struggles. Now, I don't know how it worked, but I was born without those endorphins. I know people go, oh, once I get to about that tenth mile, I feel wonderful. Kidding me? I feel miserable the whole time. I don't like to run. I run for two reasons. I'm late. Something's chasing me. That's it. But as a Christian, if we want to run well, you have to hold steadfast to the truth, apply the truth to our lives, and the truth to our behavior. I always find it amazing when I listen to a politician say, no, I'm not going to let my beliefs affect what I do. Well, then they're not beliefs. Your beliefs change what you do. They guide what you do. If they're really your beliefs, it's how you live. And you live that way regardless of what else happens to you. The fact that other people challenge you, they make fun of your beliefs and whatnot, so what? It's your belief. It's what you live by. Now, the Galatians had started well. They were running a good race, but some obstacle showed up in their path. And we know this obstacle was the Judaizers, these false teachers that are contradicting the truth that they heard from Paul. And Paul is telling the Galatians, these false teachers did not come from God. They're not the ones God sent you. The true God called them to a doctrine of faith, while these false teachers are calling them to a doctrine of works, based on merit. Now, verse 9 is an interesting idiom, right? The idea of a little yeast affects the whole batch. Um, and I see that at work. Let there be an information gap, and someone will start a rumor. And that rumor will start to spread throughout the factory. And finally, someone will, one of the managers will hear about it, and we'll have to send out an email, okay, not sure where this started, but no, that isn't going to happen, right? You have to quell it, because otherwise it just spreads like wildfire, even though it just started out as a little thing, you know? And it applies to good as, bad, as well as bad. You know, as many of you know, we have a, Donna and I have a nonprofit called Good Love and Ministries. And the idea was that if you do a little bit of good, if everybody does a little bit of good, it'll spread out through the whole community. So we focus on removing tattoos from people that shouldn't, you know, that put bad tattoos in visible places. And it's a little bitty thing, but we work with other people that you know, help people coming out of prison and halfway houses, all this group of people that are all doing a little bit. And that's that whole idea. Everybody does their little bit, and it leavens the whole batch. It makes everything better. But what we're seeing in the case of the Galatian church is that these Judaizers are passing out this false teaching that's starting to be received, and even people that wouldn't have believed it before are starting to believe. He's seeing this, you know, getting out into this group. This has got to stop. Now, verse 10, I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will adopt no other view. But the one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is, as if Paul doesn't know. But I, brethren, I still preach circumcision. Why am I still persecuted? 
Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. I wish that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. Now, Paul is confident that the Galatians will go back to the truth. Um, and that the Judaizers are going to have to deal with the consequences of bringing the, this false teaching to the Galatians. That there will be a penalty for them to pay. Um, and we know that even though Paul was a Jew, he still suffered for the, for the cause of Christ. Right? Paul went through terrible persecution at the process of ministering to the Galatians. Um, so the fact that he was circumcised had nothing to do with it. And again, we're talking about the Judaizers arguing that, no, if you're circumcised, you don't have to go through all the great struggles. But we know that this is not true. Persecution is struggles. This is part of the human way. It's just something we have to live with. Um, and again, I'll be the first to say things happen I don't understand. God is provident. I accept that. He's sovereign. He chooses what does and doesn't happen. And often things happen and I'm like, really, God? Didn't need that. You know, it's, but it's, there's other times you're like, wow, thank you. I didn't need it, but I'll take it. You know? <laughs> now, the message of circumcision is really inoffensive to the people. Why? Because they're doing the work, in a sense. Right? They're choosing to do something, although it's their parents, but they're choosing to do something, right? meaning they, they have uh, made the effort. And so he's talking to these Gentiles. I can't imagine getting circumcised as an adult, but the, he's telling them that it's what you've got to do. I can act. I can take credit for what I did. Right? On the other hand, salvation by grace is very unflattering because you had no say in the matter. God did all the work. And to accept it, you have to recognize that you were guilty and repent. Very unflattering message. We have nothing in ourselves of which to be proud of before God. I, I won't get into details, but some of the groups today that want to be proud of whatever, there's nothing in us that's to be proud for. We stand before God. There's nothing in us to be proud of. Now, verse 12 may seem like an angry outburst, right? Frustrated Paul, he's kind of angry. He says, ah, I wish I'd, you know, circumcision, why just cut off the foreskin? You should go the whole nine yards. Mutilate yourself. Now, it sounds like an angry response. It isn't really. What Paul is saying is that in that area of Galatian, many of the pagan priests would become eunuchs. They would castrate themselves so that they could be priests for these gods. And so Paul is telling these Judaizers, you are like pagans. The fact that this message you're teaching is like the pagans. Pretty big insult. And he said, hey, as long as you're going to do that, just cut off the whole thing. You know, go full pagan. So it's a pretty significant statement that he's making. Now, it's weird. We live in a world that focuses on trying to accept the lie. And I don't care which lie you want to talk about. But in general, the Christian truth is belittled by so many parts of our society today. I mean, in TV, if you're going to be a Christian, you've either got to be a mass murderer or an idiot. Those are the two options. I see TV shows that just make absolute foolishness out of Christianity. Um, and it's wrong. But all we can do is you know, avoid those shows and make a point of the truth. Um, we stand contrary to society today. And that's okay. 
So it's our responsibility to stand firm in the truth, challenge the teachers of the world, knowing that if we walk by faith through the power of the indwelling spirit, he will give us the strength to get through the struggles, the persecution, the teasing, all that goes with that. Again, we have in Christ the promise of eternal life. I know it sounds like, oh, you know, this life on earth is like a blade of grass. Well, not if you're living it, right? There's days that just seem like they won't end, right? So true Christian freedom is freedom from the guilt and shame of failing to live up to the law, instead living a life of faith, faith in the hope of the righteousness we have in Christ Jesus. Second question, what is the nature of true Christian freedom? Now, from the previous versions, uh, verses in Galatia, we've emphasized the importance of freedom. So what does it mean to have Christian freedom? Certainly, freedom means a lot of things, different things to different people, right? Roosevelt had his four freedoms. Freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom from want, freedom from fear. Sounds nice. Others talk of freedom of economic disenfranchisement or freedom from government regulation. Or freedom, the list goes on and on. But is that what we're talking about? No, it's not. Verse 13. For you are called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you're not consumed by one another. So we saw in the previous verses, the primary Christian freedom is freedom from guilt. And no man or woman is truly free until they have gotten rid of that guilt of sin, which we do through salvation in Jesus Christ. He took the initiative while we were still in sin. He sacrificed a path to our freedom. Um, The interesting part is that Christ came to us. We didn't go, oh, looking for him. Right? The plan for our salvation was in from the very beginning of time, when, when everything wasn't. God had the plan. And Christ sought us. We didn't seek him. But he calls us. And I think for Paul, this meant so much, because remember his conversion on the road to Damascus, Right? I mean, here he is on the way to Damascus to go kill Christians, and all of a sudden, boom, Jesus shows up and tells him, no, your life has changed, memory's blind, he's got to go, you know, all this stuff goes through. He has this dramatic shift in his life, and he understands what that calling means now, right? He understands that he was at complete opposites with Jesus Christ, and all of a sudden, poof, he was turned around, Right? So we're going to look at Christian freedom by looking at what it is not. And Paul in this verse makes three points. First of all, Christian freedom is not freedom to indulge in the flesh, but rather self-control. So Christian freedom is a freedom from sin, not a freedom to sin. It's not an excuse to fall into our primal desires. We read in Titus 3, verses 3 to 5, For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. 
But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds that we've done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. So as Christians, we have to crucify all worldly desires and pleasures. Right? And it's just, I remember Randall said this several years ago, is that everybody has their own bucket of stuff. My bucket's different than your bucket. My worldly pleasures and desires that were in my heart before I came to the Lord is a different bucket than yours. But we each have to crucify that bucket. Uh, We'll talk about that a little more here. But the bottom line is that that is a process constant. We never reach perfection. The best you'll be is on the day you die. As long as you keep working toward getting to be closer and closer to Christ by listening to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and working through those struggles that you have in your life. Now, I hear people say, well, once you get to know the Lord, you don't have those struggles anymore. B.S. Well, I wish it was that simple. You know, I wish it was like, boom, gone. Don't think those things anymore. Don't want to do those things anymore. That's just not reality. Um, And I think there's a reason behind that, the fact that we have to acknowledge that, hey, we can't do this on our own. Um, I look at some of the struggles in my life that, knock on wood, I don't have to struggle with anymore. I'm so grateful for it. It's not because I did anything. All I did was ask him to take them away and keep me away from them. You know, we talk about, you know, keep me away from temptation. Tell me when it's coming so I can turn the other way. Um, Second, freedom is not freedom to exploit our neighbors. We are not allowed to ignore, neglect, or abuse our neighbors. Rather, we are required to serve them. And that depends on your neighbor. It can be tough. As a Christian, the first question we should ask ourselves, how will this affect my neighbor? You know, I look at a lot of the political laws and stuff. I'm like, are you thinking how this is going to affect people? That's the first question. When you're going to pass a law, you should ask yourself, how does this affect people? Because that's what really matters. All people, not just the ones you like. Right. Remember the question said, well, who are my neighbors like everybody? Ooh, I don't like that person. Too bad. Hate has no place in the Christian life. I, 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 I can't tell you how much it disappoints me when I see places, houses of worship that come out with statements that show hate. It is so wrong. We can hate sin. We cannot hate people. Right? I don't care what your sin is. I can't hate you. I, I can certainly hate your behavior, and I can recognize your behavior as sin, but I can't hate you. And yet I hear this rhetoric all the time about hate, and it's just disgusting. I mean, I expect it in the world, but I don't expect it in the body, and yet we hear it from the body. I see on Facebook people that claim to be Christians say absolutely unchristian things should never happen. Finally, Christian freedom is not freedom to ignore the law. Following the law is fulfilling the law. The difference is our motive, not our actions. Why we follow the law is completely different than before Christ. The law clearly states, love your neighbors as yourself. And the second half of the Ten Commandments is all about how you treat your neighbors. 
Exodus 20, verses 13 to 17 says, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear fault with against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. We live in a world where it's fashionable to persecute the truth and persecute people telling the truth. We must never do that. We must stand for the truth, share the truth, but not return that enmity, that, that almost nastiness that comes our way. And that's tough to do. As many of you know, I like to argue. And um, the, uh, there are times that I do all I can to bite my tongue. And, I, you know, and it's, I really struggle with sarcasm. Uh, you know, I figured if sarcasm was an Olympic sport, I could coach. Um, you know, <laughs> and it's really tough, but I, you know, the, the, the Greek root for sarcasm literally means to tear flesh. And yet I can remember growing up, that was, that was my step one. I'm going to have an argument. My first thing is to cut your legs out from underneath you to make sure that you are on defense. Um, and it's been a real change in my life. It's been work trying to get there. Um, but that's not how we're supposed to treat people. Um, you know, I, my mind will go, oh, there's an opportunity. No, don't say it. <laughs> anyway, now we know that the roots of the Brethren Church are deep in suffering. If you know the history at all, you know that the Brethren Church, you know, they were persecuted throughout Europe. They came to the States. They were persecuted during the, the um, uh, Revolutionary War. They were persecuted during the Civil War. The Brethren history is one of constant persecution. And yet they stood for the truth and they stayed in the truth. And that's what we have to continue that legacy of standing for the truth um, and doing it humbly. Um, you know, the uh, seeking peace, avoiding conflict. And again, that's difficult. Especially some of our personalities, that is really difficult. Um, but it's what we're commanded to do. So the true nature of Christian freedom is freedom from the desires of the flesh, a desire to serve your neighbors and to love them as ourselves faithful obedience to Jesus Christ and listening to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So finally, what are fruits of the Spirit? Now, this is a section that probably everybody knows, especially if you like did a Wana or Children's Church, you've memorized, right, the fruits of the Spirit, right? You'd be like, it's like a Boy Scout knows the 12, you know, things the Boy Scout said, just really loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, caring, obedient. You know, you learned it just like you learned the fruit of the Spirit, right? Same sort of thing here. So Paul is going to compare the, the works of the flesh against the fruits of the Spirit. Right? So he kind of goes through this laundry list of things. As we begin these uh, closing verses then, let's take a comparison of the works of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit. Verse 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousings, and things like these. 
of which I forewarned you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, Paul gives this list, and it's a partial list, but it's a pretty long list, of all the things that shows that the flesh is working in you and not the spirit. Now, the Greek doesn't translate directly into English. Um, so some of these categories are kind of hard to put into English terms. Um, but basically, they fall into four categories. There are sins of the bodies, sins against God, sins against society, and then excessive drink. Okay? So the first group are sins against our bodies. Uh, and the reason why, because our bodies have been made righteous by God. So sins against our bodies are sins that are against what God has done by making us righteous. So immorality is typically thought of as sexual immorality, but actually it really is translates to any lust of the flesh, where the wants of the flesh are overcoming the, what the Holy Spirit wants you to do. So it includes sins of fornication, adultery, and homosexuality. Also includes any act, again, that focuses on satisfying excessive wants of the body. Impurity is better rendered, sexual deviancy, unnatural vice. Also includes rough speech um, and, you know, coarse jokes, those sorts of things. Right? Um, also includes pornography, voyeurism, those sorts of things. Uh, sensuality is better rendered an inappropriate disregard for propriety, lack of modesty. I'm amazed today the way some people go out in public. Uh, you know, it's like, uh, excuse me, but you forgot your clothes. You know, it's, um, it's, yeah, it's, it's odd. Um, all right, second group is the sins against God, right? So idolatry is the worship of false gods. And these gods don't have to be carved images, but conclude anything that's more important than God. Money, power, you know, approval, anything that's more important than God. Sorcery takes idolatry one more step and basically has the idea that you're communing with evil. And that includes things like witchcraft, tarot cards, Ouija boards, all that kind of stuff. Mediums, all that kind of stuff. Third group is sins against society. These are some ones that I think can hit a nerve. Enmity comes from the same Latin root as enemy and basically means to continually hold someone or a group of people as your enemy, to have a hatred toward a specific group. Um, we talked earlier, the, uh, I grew up in Mississippi and I was amazed, and I not grew up, I went to pilot training in Mississippi uh, in the 80s and I was amazed at the racism that existed. I just... I mean, I grew up in Arizona. We didn't have that. And I was just amazed that people hated each other, and I'm thinking, for what? You know, and, and a bit worse than that, I remember when I first was looking for a church, I just opened up the Yelp pages. Remember those back then? Uh, and to look for a church, and I found Antioch Baptist Church. Oh, good. So I show up, and they go, you're at the wrong church. What do you mean I'm at the wrong church? Yeah, this is the black church. You want to go to the white church? I went, what? You have two churches, one for each color? That's You're missing something here, guys. You know? But that's the way everything was. It really was. So they, they, they just wrong. They just had this this animosity toward each other. It was completely wrong, completely unbiblical. Strife is best seen as those who see dissension over every little cause. There are some people who will fight over anything. It's hot today. Well, it could be hotter. Okay, fine. It could be hotter, but it's still hot. 
I don't know about you. To me, anything over 105 is hot. But there's people, again, that want to argue about everything. Jealousy. Envy over someone else's accomplishments, features, or recognition. Well, I wish I had a waist like hers. You don't. You have the waist you have. Be content. You know, it's... Uh, jealousy takes on all sorts of forms today. You know, it's, it's interesting. I, I work for... Um, a company, and, and I managed to get a job now. I have no employees. I have nobody I'm responsible for. And they're like, Eric, you you really have no power anymore. I know it's great. <laughs> I, don't have to, I don't have to worry about anybody else but me. I'm like, amen. You know, I, the only kingdom I'm worried about isn't on this earth. Um, I don't want a big group, you know. All right. Uh, outbursts of angry. This one's easy. I think we all know somebody who's safety wired to the pissed off position. Anything happens, they explode. You know, I mean, you're walking, what well, you always say, walking around eggshells, right? You gotta be careful what you say, cause otherwise that person's just gonna go crazy. You know? And they, they annoy you. I, I just stay away from them. Yeah, I love you by staying away from you. Because I don't want to trigger your struggles, right? No, I don't want to listen to your stuff. And we saw a lot of that stuff during this last election. People just, Bouting anger is just like, man, drove me crazy. I just, I stopped before. I just wouldn't watch the news anymore. That and watching people get shots. I hate needles. I just, they'd stop showing pictures of shots. Now, anyway, dissensions, disagreements that lead to alienation between parties. Wow, is the church the model for dissension? I mean, we have split. How many churches have split and split and split because they argue over some little thing? I mean, you look at the brethren history, right? We split over the fact that we should pay our pastors. We split over the past that we should educate our pastors. Well, who wants a broke, stupid, you know, ignorant pastor? I mean, but, you know, it's like, that's what we fought over. And we split over it. You know, I just, why can't we just accept each other as we are? You know, hey, you disagree with me, great. Weezy and I disagree about all sorts of stuff. It's great. We still love each other. You know, and that's, I mean, the fact that we can disagree and still love each other is a point. Right? We should be that way with everybody. The fact that we fight over stuff that's just, my brother was going to a church that um, they had to have this massive meeting because there was a disagreement on what colored drapes to put in the remodeled woman's bathroom. He got up in the middle of the meeting and said, if this is the best we can argue about, I'm gone. And he left, so did the start of the church. Because they're like, this is ridiculous. We're arguing over something that's just so stupid. Who cares? You know, obviously somebody, right? Yeah, dissension is one that just we're good at. And then factions are those things which don't result in splitting the church, but makes these little groups that talk about other little groups. Um, yeah, we see that a lot as well, not only in churches, but everywhere else, too. Hey, did you hear what my family? It's good. I don't get involved in everybody's drama. I just don't like it. And they'll be like, hey, did you hear what so and so did? No, and I don't want to hear. <laughs> if I can do something to help their situation, then let me know. Otherwise, I don't want to know. Not my problem. Um, again, I don't want to get into everybody's stuff. Life has enough drama by itself. I've always wondered why people watch drama television. I mean, life has enough drama. The last thing I wanted, I remember my mom used to watch this, I forget what it was, it was a hospital. General Hospital, I think, something like that. Anyway, it was a soap opera where if you actually had to go to that hospital, you'd be dead before they fixed you. But you'd have had at least two affairs while you were there. <laughs> I was like, why would you watch that? 
You know, and I remember I came home from college and she goes, she starts going to the story. I'm like, who is this? I don't even know these people. Oh, no, it's on General Hospital. Why are you telling me? I could care less. 